Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Women to Watch is an intimate look into the lives of prominent and influential women leaders from around the world and the challenges they faced on their journey. It's the real story behind her title. Join us every week to hear more stories about women from around the world and in your own communities at womentowatch.net. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. For the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, We have another great show for you this week. Joining me in just a moment will be Colleen Bashar. And Colleen is Senior Vice President of Enterprise Operations, um, also Chief of Staff to the CEO of Guidewire. And she'll be with me in just a moment. As always, be sure to stay with us during the breaks where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of on-air contributors, bringing you all kinds of news and updates from their industries and their companies. And this week, Sherry Marson for our Lifestyle Watch segment is going to be speaking with Jackie O'Malley. Um, Jackie is the founder and owner of Project Mindfulness. And um I'm sorry, Project Mindful, Project Mindful. And she's teaching people, it sounds um, kind of simple, um, but she's really teaching people how to pay attention. And I think in the world we live in with all of the noise and distractions, that can be difficult sometimes. So it's going to be an interesting segment. So now I'm very honored and excited to welcome to the show, Colleen Bashar. Hi. Hi, Colleen. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so happy to have you. We had a wonderful introductory call, and um, that was quite a while ago. But um, I, I I loved how candid you were with me about you know kind of your background and your life story. So um, I'm excited to share that with our viewers. And I understand you're joining us from North Carolina, Raleigh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How is it there today? It is beautiful, sunny, and about 80 degrees. Oh, nice, nice, beautiful. Yeah. Well, listen, first of all, um, tell our viewers where you grew up. Um, Primarily in upstate New York. I should say Western New York, around the Rochester area. Okay. Yeah. Um, And can you talk a little bit about the community there? What was that like? Neighborhood? Yeah. Um, So from kindergarten through sixth grade, I grew up in Pittsford, New York, which is a suburb of the Rochester area. Great community. Um, you know, at that age, the important thing that I would notice is friends and how close uh, from a neighborhood perspective are my friends so I can get to their houses. Um, but I, it was just a very fun, safe place to grow up. Moving into seventh grade, I actually moved an hour away to a very small town in about an hour South of Rochester, where my mother grew up, where my grandparents grew up, um, which was a very different experience in a small town and you, everybody walks to school. There is not a lot of extracurricular activities outside of what you're doing in school because it's such a small town. And so you just do a lot of hanging out with friends and neighbors on the street and, and, you know, trying to stay out of trouble. Um, But it was also a great place to grow up because of that tightness. Um, You didn't have to get a ride everywhere. You could just Mm. walk. Um, which was, which was really nice. So very different perspectives from both of those towns, but I, you know, I have nothing to complain about. I thought they were both great. Yeah. And different from today, I would say we spend a lot of time in the car, you know, Um, and I grew up similar to you. And now as the mother of two kids, it's, it was when they were younger, just so much driving around and, and there's networks in faraway places, you know, um, 
I, I want you to talk a little bit about your mom and your relationship with her. I know that she was um, a huge influence on you and really yeah. helped develop your values. Talk about her. Okay. So my mom is my rock. Um, incredibly strong, driven, smart. Um, she and my father got divorced when I was three. And very short, we were living in Florida at the time. Very shortly after the divorce, she moved back up to New York, um, first Rochester, and then we moved to where her parents are. But, you know, to be closer to family because um, she was going to need the support. So as a single mom, she focused on my brother and I making sure that we had everything we needed to be successful, that we knew that we could do anything that we wanted to do. And she continued to invest in herself. So I saw that firsthand without even realizing it as she continuously went back to school. So she got a master's in education and then she got a master's in school psychology and she got a certificate of advanced study for school administration. So she just kept advancing, showing us that, you know, you, you have to focus on yourself and develop yourself if you want to be able to focus on your kids and develop your kids. Um, of course, I didn't know any of that until now looking back on it, yes. the lessons that I learned. Yeah, that's so often the case. Yeah. And, and I'm curious, was, did she have conversations with you about her pursuing, um, you know, further education and, and exploring more of the world? Or did she, was she just busy doing it and you were observing? Yeah, I think when I was younger, so, in, you know, in elementary school, she was just doing it. Mm -hmm. Um that wasn't a, you know, a top of mind for a fifth grader. But as I got older and started talking about college, that's when she started giving me a lot more of her perspective as to, you know, why you should go, what you should be focusing on. Um, just making sure that she knew that nothing was off the table, that no matter what I wanted to study, you could do it. Whereas when she grew up, you went to college and, you know, maybe the goal was to get a career. Maybe the goal was to get a husband. It was very different back then. Right. Um, you know, there were six or seven careers that women went after if they were going to college, whereas now it's, it's very different. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about, you know, um, the impact of not having a father in your life full time. I'm, I'm sure that was something missing for you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so first of all, my father is an extremely talented pulmonary specialist, has an amazing career. He's really, really funny. And so he is everyone's favorite. But to me, as a little girl, I, you know, my father had a new wife and they had two kids together. So they, to me, it was, he's choosing this other woman and this other family over me, even though he wasn't, I mean, he didn't, he never said that to me. But it's just what you think subconsciously as a little three-year-old, four-year-old whose parents are divorced. And so through that, I wanted him to, you know, accept me and, and appreciate me and more than anything. Um, and I think that was unhealthy in that it, it forced me to think I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not skinny enough because he's choosing them over me. Right. Um, so, so common. So very yeah. Common. And so I think it impacted my self-worth and then subconsciously it creates a belief in you that then you create a different personality completely subconsciously throughout your adult life. And it's not until you realize that, that you can really fix it and be your authentic self. So it, it took me a while to figure it out. Um, and it's, you know, a forever learning process, but is that, would you say that that was what was driving you from a professional standpoint, you know, the, the desire or need to kind of prove to him initially. Okay. So I chose my major in college for two, two reasons. One, because I knew it would be what I was good at, but I also knew it would be impressive to him. Yeah. So initially I want to be a doctor because he's a doctor. And then I knew that I'm not a straight A student. And so if I was a biology major with, with A's competing for medical school, I wouldn't have the A's. Somebody else would. 
but I chose biomedical engineering as a competitive advantage because I may have B's in, in biomedical engineering next to a biology major that has A's, but I can talk my way into why biomedical engineering is going to make me think different. So I was, I was strategically thinking about that, but I also knew that it was a field that he's interested in. And so I thought he would be impressed by that. Yeah. Um, Meanwhile, now, I, go ahead, go ahead. Later in life, I realized that it was, I had some negative personality concerns or issues that stems from not wanting to look stupid and being fearful that I wouldn't get that acceptance. People wouldn't think I was smart if I said something wrong. That stems from my father-daughter relationship that I was manifesting in like an executive room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it took, it took me a while to figure that out. <laughs> how, how long, well, first of all, biomedical engineering is incredibly difficult. So the fact that you're, you know, it's funny that you're talking about getting B's in that instead of A's in, you know, biology um, kind of speaks a little bit to the silliness of grades, right. And the system right. and, and education. Right. Um, so you clearly had this incredible intellectual ability. Um how, when would you say in, in your adult life, you began to recognize it? And I know it comes from years of reflection and analyzing our lives mm -hmm. and ourself. When did you mm -hmm. begin to realize you could really let go of that? This is embarrassing to say, but in the last four years, and it's because someone pointed it out and then said, I'm going to get you a coach that's going to help you figure this out. Oh, wow. But they pointed it out because I, here I was an SVP. I had a team of 150 people around the world. And with that team, I showed up as my true authentic self. When I sat in the executive meetings, I showed up as somebody different. Oh, wow. And I needed to figure out why. What was it that was making me show up different? Right. Was that a colleague or a friend? It was a colleague. It was a colleague. Mm -hmm. Not that this necessarily matters. Was it a woman or was it a man? It was a woman. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Number one, yeah. that she would take the time to do that and, and mm -hmm. see that in you. Sometimes it, I mean, I would say most often it's someone who, who sees something in you that you don't recognizes it and says something and then a light bulb goes off. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you obviously were open to her feedback. And oh, her yes, suggestions. because I, I could feel it blocking me. I could feel that I wasn't being my true self. Yeah. But I didn't know how to put that in words. And I didn't know why. Right. And so, tell me now, so having, you know, really just dealt with that part mm -hmm. of your life, how do you lead differently now? You have a big job. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I would say it's still a continuous learning process in order to figure out how to get myself comfortable in a situation as fast as I can so that I feel safe being my authentic self, mm -hmm. because as much as I can work on myself to show up as me, if it's not a safe environment, it's very hard to do that. What do you and mean? So, by, what, when you say safe environment, what do you mean? So an environment where it's almost celebrated to be wrong or to fail, right? Because that's the only way you're going to learn. And so it has, you have to create an environment where it's safe to, to take a risk, hmm. um, to fail fast and to learn from that. So I, I, you know, I think it's both sides of the table that have to meld for people to be to feel safe, to be authentic. Yeah. And when you say that you're referencing the, the people that you manage. You, oh yeah. Yeah. Like that, yeah. For my leadership, that is a key pillar is creating an environment where everybody feels they can be their authentic self. Um, it's just something that I think is incredibly important and drives performance. Right. Right. That is something I would say culturally we're recognizing today corporations mm -hmm. are companies businesses 
that wasn't something that was paid yeah. attention to years ago, which seems so silly. But yeah. right when you make your uh, people that work for you feel important and part of the process, yeah, everything gets better. It is. It's great that it's it's now a topic of discussion for sure. Yeah. When you say when you refer to your authentic self, what is that? What are your traits that make up you? And, and I would say that allowed you to, you continually moved up at this company. You've had multiple mm -hmm. roles there. So what would you say those, that your authentic self is? So from a leadership perspective, I think it, I, I sum it up in the leadership philosophy that I call raw leadership. And it's authenticity, figuring out how to create an environment of safety so that people feel like they can give it their all. And then when chaos hits, cause every family member, you and I talked a lot about family chaos. Yeah. When chaos hits, you have a sick family member or a death in the family or anything. The rest of the team steps in and lets you deal with that personal chaos. Mm. So you don't have the conflict of, Oh no, I have to be in this meeting you know, you can deal with your personal conflict or chaos. Yeah. It's creating that, that environment. Um, vulnerability, I think is also very near and dear to my heart. I think the more you can show vulnerability, the more you, you will have a following, the more you will gain people's trust and lead by example, because vulnerability takes courage. Um, and I think when you share vulnerable aspects of what you are working on in your, in at work, personal life, whatever, it gives you a connection with someone where they feel like you are a person. Human, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. We all have it. It's just that yeah. not everybody talks about it. Exactly. Pretending, yeah. pretending is the worst, right? Pretending yeah. whatever's happening, you know, internally is not um, leads to illness, you know, all kinds yeah. of anxiety and all of that. So, um, yeah. we're going to go into our first break. When we come okay. back, we're going to talk a little bit more about your work. And I have a question from one of our uh, viewers and listeners. Okay, great. Stay tuned for our watch team. And we'll be right back with Colleen Bashar. We are CHOP. And we can't wait to show you around. We're the nation's first children's hospital. Now, a care network with more than 50 locations that continues to expand. Three state-of-the-art research buildings with 1.5 million square feet of space. We have grown from 12 beds 165 years ago to nearly 600 beds and one of the best children's hospitals in the world. We have a level one trauma center, 11 floors of patient units, more than 20 operating rooms, first of its kind delivery unit for babies with birth defects, a separate cardiac operative and catheterization suite, and places to learn, like our internationally recognized simulation center, we have trained generations of leaders in the field of pediatrics. We are world leaders in medicine, surgery, and science. One of the top recipients in NIH funding for pediatric research. In this building, pioneers in CAR-T therapy, mitochondrial disease, brain tumors, hyperinsulinism, and other rare diseases. Here, groundbreaking work in fetal surgery, genetics and genomics, and neurology. In our newest building, leaders in social determinants of health, clinical informatics and epidemiology, autism, trauma and injury prevention. Our patients come from every state and 115 countries.
Meeting these challenges requires the best and the brightest. We are passionate about pediatrics. We are motivated to make a difference in the world and in our community. We are a team. We are CHOP. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. And the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Hi, and welcome back to the show. I'm joined this week by Colleen Bashar. Uh, Colleen is Senior Vice President of Enterprise Operations, and she's also the Chief of Staff for the CEO of Guidewire. Uh, by the way, it's a software company. Um, I was thinking, I had a question during the break because I was thinking about, as you were describing your leadership style and the importance um, of being vulnerable. And I wondered in your role as the chief of staff for the CEO, is the CEO um, supportive of that? And have you perhaps taught him or her something about doing that, which I think is absolutely the right way to lead? So TBD, only because I am newly uh, supporting him as chief of staff. I was supporting our chief operating officer and just in the last week we switched. So now I am supporting him. <laughs> okay. Because so, you needed another a, position. <laughs> yeah. So he will have a little a foreshadow of what we're going to be talking about if he listens to this. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, ex that's exciting and that's great. And you never know which way, you know, my guess is he'll be teaching you something. You'll be teaching him something. 100%. He's already yeah. taught me a ton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I do I have a question from um, a listener. Uh, her name is Dusty Woford. She works for CBRE, which is, I know that company very well. It's a global um, commercial development real estate company. And she said, as a woman in technology and real estate, I'm interested in empowering myself and other women to have a seat at the table. How did you land your seat and what obstacles did you face along the way? Um, that's a big question, but, you know, mm -hmm. she's looking for little nuggets of wisdom. And my guess is it's something that she's thinking a lot about now in her role there. Yeah. Um, I would, I would say there's so many things I could say for this, but one of them being, I don't believe anyone can, can do this on their own. And so there is a huge power in finding mentors, both internal and external. And I would say that mentors that I have are the people that gave me a seat at the table. Um, I think mentors can be challenging because people feel like what I have heard from people is they hesitate to reach out to senior level mentors because they don't want to waste their time. Mm. But I can, and I had that same fear and I have now learned that the mentor gets almost just as much out of the conversation as the mentee. The yeah. mentee just has to believe in that, that they have something to offer. They have a perspective that the mentor doesn't have. And so sharing that adds value to the relationship on both sides. So don't be afraid of getting mentors to help get you in the door. Right. Um, how about, did you ever experience, um, have bad experiences being um, a female? in a very male dominated industry? And if so, how did you deal with those instances? Yeah, unfortunately, I, I think those instances still happen today. Um, the way that I handle it is I try not to make it about men versus women. And I try to just make sure that I'm at the table because I have something to add. And even if I'm the only woman at the table, it doesn't matter. I'm going to add the value that I want to add and then try to bring some more women along with me as I get the opportunity. This isn't just in tech. I mean, I, when I got my MBA, there was 110 people in our class and there was only nine women. 
Wow. Which is just crazy. And that's yeah, um, not that long ago. Yeah. And, you know, I did the executive MBA. And so you have to be a little bit older in your career to, to take that path. But, you know, the problem is, I think it's childbearing age that, you know, you're supposed to be have worked for five or seven years and people are then having families. So I don't think it attracts as many women. Um, and so that's, that's another aspect of it is we have to create an environment where, you know, women can do both. Cause you're a mother. Yeah. By I the have way. two boys. <laughs> yeah. You have two boys. I mean, that's a whole other part of your life. Right? Yeah. It's not, it's not separate. Do you, do you think it's been easier? Um, the world changed so much so quickly in a very short period of time um, with the pandemic. And so the ability to work from home and perhaps, you know, have it be a hybrid, sometimes out of the office, sometimes at home. Mm -hmm. do, you that, do you enjoy that? And do you think it's better for people? I personally enjoy it. I think it, it varies on the individual. Some people need that constant adult interaction throughout the day outside of zoom in an office, they thrive yeah. off of that. Right. Um, so it really depends on the person, but I do think it has helped companies see that you can still be really productive, even if you're in this hybrid world, which I don't think there was a lot of belief around that before COVID. So I do think there's a huge, a huge benefit to that. Yeah. I, I mentioned in the first um, segment that you continually moved up in this company and had multiple roles. Do you feel like you are where you're meant to be now? Does this feel like? I think so. This is where I am now is completely new to me. I have been on the sales side for years and years and years and years. And so just in this past year, I moved over to the operations side and it is incredibly interesting to see how it all works behind the scenes. Um, so I'm loving that aspect. It's a learning curve. So there's a different level of stress when, you know, you're yes. not the subject matter expert anymore. <laughs> when it's new, right? It's right. Yeah. Um, so that, that aspect is what gets me motivated and challenged. I always want to feel challenged, but it's a different, a different level, you know, it brings another added aspect of it that I got to learn. Yeah. <laughs> You tell me, you know, operations can be multiple different things depending on the company and the industry, right? So mm -hmm. for people who aren't familiar with, you know, what it, what in, encompasses operations for a software uh, company, what is your day-to-day -day look like? Um, because operations can include so many things, that's exactly what your day-to-day -day looks like. So it could include you know, improvements in business processes and technologies to make the, op the, the business run smoother and more effectively and more efficient. It could include the operations in order to make sure that we're running our software properly for our customers. Right. It could include more um, ser business services that we want to make sure that we're running from an enterprise um, aspect. It's, it's, a little bit of everything. And then I have two specific teams. One deals with sort of the program project management of all of our strategic initiatives. And then I have a field enablement team that enables all of the customer facing organizations with the information that they need in order to be able to sell and to service our customers. Um, and then another key aspect is really looking at the strategy that we are going to move forward with for the next 12 months aligning the organization around that strategy and making sure we're staying on track to meet the, the goals and objectives that we've set. So there's a lot going into lot. operations. I, I could never do it. <laughs> I could never <laughs> do your job for sure. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's a lot of talk in the news today about companies really struggling um, to find help. To, is, is that affecting your industry. I mean, and, and computer software is such a competitive market. I'm, I'm curious yeah. how you're faring um, compared to other companies. I think we're, we're doing really well. We, we took a look six to 12 months ago. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. 
Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But this problem of the great resignation that was approaching all of us and um, we, we planned ahead of time for that, which I think has, has really helped us make sure we're staying on track and, you know, not losing a lot of people and being able to still pe- be really productive, but it's just a scary environment right now with all of these large tech companies doing a bunch of layoffs. It just creates, you know, fear in the environment that we yes. have to try to, you know, make sure that people don't have that sense with inside the organization. Yeah. I'm yeah. curious if you ever think, I shared an interesting, what I thought was an interesting article um, from the Wall Street Journal this morning about um, whether to retire or not to retire, who's interested in retiring and who's not. And, and because I think, again, there's a new philosophy about, you know, you don't have to retire. You don't have to stop doing a job that you love. Is retirement in your in your mind? Is it something you think about, or or are you more on the side of, gosh, I really enjoy my work and my role, and I want to do it as long as I can? I think I'm in the middle. I'm not ready to retire. I love what I do, but I do see the light at the end of the tunnel of being able to do a little bit more personal, um, you know, goals and adventures with my husband. But right now I love what I do. I love being a role model for my children, mm-hmm. um, especially because I don't have a daughter. So I need to make sure they understand all of the things that a woman can do. Yes. Um, so retirement, unfortunately, is not in my near future. <laughs> but it is, it is out there. I'm not one that wants to work until I'm 80. I can promise you yeah, that. It's evolving. Um, you, from what I know and our conversation, what I've read, you're pretty active and, you know, adventurous and, you know, talk to me a little bit. If you had that freedom, what kinds of things would you be doing? Oh, I would be skiing in the the winter. (laughs) I would would be hiking in the summer, skiing in the winter, golfing year round somewhere. Wow. Yeah. Which is, and I'm lucky that my husband and I have the same likes. So we do all of this stuff together. Um, so yeah, it, it will be, and my kids too. I mean, we all sort of, sort of created that so that we all like to do the same things together. <laughs> Play outside, which is yeah. so healthy and good, right? It's all about yeah. you know, keep moving. Um, when you think about your boys, oh, I I ask this question a lot because I'm a mom too, and and I, you know, what worries you for them in the world that we're living in, which is, you know it's fabulous and it can be a little kooky. Um, Mm -hmm. And what are some of the things when you think about them that you worry about for them and their future, that's going to be harder and difficult than I think when we were growing up. Yeah. I think the things I focus on with them are some of the emotional intelligent topics, Mm -hmm. especially because they're boys soon to be men. Um, making sure that they understand how to articulate how they're feeling, make sure that they feel that they are brave enough to speak up for themselves. And I'm trying to get all of those skills built up before they are heavy in social media so that social media doesn't tear them down from the inside out. Yeah. They feel strong enough to, you know, see whatever it has upset them, internalize it for a minute and then realize it's not real and let it go. Yeah. Or has no bearing on them at all. Has nothing to do with them. Right. Right. It's, it's really sad to see how it impacts some of these kids just from a little like. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just, we have to figure out how to prevent that. Do you, uh, sometimes I look at history and I think that things go really overboard and then it reaches a plateau and people start to recognize, you know, this isn't, this isn't good. This isn't right. And, you know, there's a movement, we're going to change that. I see those conversations happening a little bit with regard to social media. Do you with your boys? I do. I do. In fact, I'm shocked that they, I have a sixth grader. So it's his first year in middle school and he's not begging for the social media platforms yet. 
Good. Um, but, you know, I also have neighbors that are in high school and it's, it's strong. Yeah. So I'm hoping that as corporations, they're starting to figure out how to help in this area because they have the power to do it. I just hope that they do it. Yeah. Um, tell me, you know, the, the viewer that wanted advice, wisdom, you mm -hmm. know, is there somebody who, if I asked you, who's, who, who is someone that gave you the best advice you've ever gotten? Does something come to mind? It's probably a pers personal or professional. Yeah. It's probably my mentor who is not in the company that I work for, who told me to never stop investing in myself. Mm. And this was when I was, she gave me this advice when I was battling, like, should I go back for my MBA? I don't know if I should, it's so much money. And she just put her foot down and was like, you're crazy to stop investing in yourself. If you stop investing in yourself, you're going to stop growing. And from that point forward, I have always been doing something to invest in myself, whether getting an outside coach, getting an inside coach, taking a class, reading a book. Um, I, and the, the other thing I would say is everybody goes through seasons where they're going to want to invest in themselves more than others. I took like a five year break when I had kids. It wasn't until my youngest really was probably five when I said, oh, my God. I feel like it's time for me again. Yeah. Cause I needed, I needed to focus on how to survive and how to keep these things alive. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Do you think, I think sometimes women feel that's selfish. Yeah. I and don't think it so is the opposite. Right. So in other words, yeah. if you're bringing your best self to the world, yeah. then that's the best for everybody you love around you. Exactly. And I get why they could take it as selfish. I understand that. But I, I would love to be able to make everybody realize how important it is to invest in yourself. And then your kids are going to see that. Correct. Just like my mom was doing when I was young. Yeah. Is, is your mom still with you? Mm-hmm. And, and what is she doing today? Keeping she is enjoying being a grandma. Of course. She is also, her husband has dementia. So she is still in caretaking mode. Really hard. Um, and, you know living through that and figuring all of that out, but she's doing great. She's incredibly healthy and happy. And I'm very lucky to have her nearby. <laughs> she's very helpful. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Grandparents. Um, yeah. I hope to be one one day. Yeah. <laughs> um, we only have a minute left. Let me ask you um, a daily mantra because I know, you know, I'm, I'm impressed by your, choice to dig deep, look at your life, you know, in order to be better and, and do better. And is in the moments of where you're feeling angst, anxiety, do you have a mantra that kind of pulls you back to the right place? I would say it's looking in the mirror and saying you deserve to be where you are. It's very easy to get caught up in your head and think, oh my God, I'm not worthy. I shouldn't be doing this. But I should be. I'm here for a reason and I can add value and I just have to remind myself of that. Yeah. <laughs> great. That's great advice. Great advice. Um, Colleen, I appreciate so much you're coming on the show and sharing your story and I wish you continued success. Thank Both you so much. A wife and um, as a senior vice president. It was so fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Stay with us for uh, Sherry Marson for our Lifestyle Watch segment and we'll be right back. Action News, celebrating 50 years of AccuWeather. If you think severe weather has been on the rise, you are correct. In the last three years, tornado warnings in our region have shattered records. With 52 last year alone, half of those warnings resulted in confirmed tornadoes, including two extremely rare EF3s. Thanks for always trusting us to keep you informed. 50 Years of AccuWeather is sponsored by Independence Blue Cross. Choose coverage you can count on with the region's strongest network. Is the best vacation one that you find or one you get lost in? One that takes you to new heights or reminds you to go with the flow? To get your feet wet and your wheels spinning? One that lets you find your own rhythm or get carried away? Find the best of yourself. 
get lost in the woods. Plan your stay in the Wildwoods today. From Philadelphia to the Lehigh Valley and everywhere in between, for 150 years, Penn Community Bank has been a part of your neighborhood. Helping businesses start, supporting families as they grow, and staying connected to the people and places that make this region special. It's who we are and where we're from. Penn Community Bank. Here we are, and here we grow. There's a moment every hour, every day, every week. These moments shape our world. They add color, perspective, and sometimes pain. Moments are meant to be shared, shared by friends, family, people you trust. At Action News, we cherish every moment, and it's our profound responsibility to bring you closer to your world. Never miss a moment. Trust the people at Action News. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. And the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amount of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Hello, welcome to the lifestyle segment of Women to Watch. I'm Sherry Morrison. Today, I think we will all learn to become more aware of ourselves, our intentions, attention, and attitude, or at least decide after this interview that it might be a nice gift to ourselves. I would like to introduce and welcome holistic life coach and founder of Project Mindful, Jackie O'Malley. Welcome to the show, Matt. Jackie. Hi, Sherry. Welcome, and thanks for having me. Our pleasure. So Jackie, I think before we get too involved, I think your family life has a lot to do with how you landed in a mindful place. Please tell us a little bit about your background in education. Yes. Okay. So my family does have a big, you know, it was a definitely a a place for me to kind of work my work, to do the work that I'm doing in the healing. I grew up and my I was born to teenage parents. And my mother was 17 when she had me and my parents tried, you know, they got married. And by the time they were 21, they were separated again. And I grew up with my grandparents and lived in a house that was pretty chaotic. It was um, loving, thank God. So I grew up in a loving home, but there was definitely, you know, there wasn't a lot of effort put into emotional intelligence, right? And emotional awareness, just like a lot of us grew up. There was, you know, excessive drinking. There was yelling to solve problems. There was racism, you know, lack of communication. It was really just, you know, that traditional kind of family that we grew up in. And as I was growing up in that family, I realized that there was, there had to be a different way. There had to be something else. I just had this feeling in me. And then by the time I was 14, I had this really pivotal, pivotal thing happen to me where my mom died when she was 32 and I was 14. And that for me was this just big, big shift in really trying to figure out what is the right way, like what is the way to live? Because I knew what I was experiencing was not, it was causing a lot of harm and discomfort. Yeah. And and then you went to school, you went off to college, you were the first in your family to go off to college, is that correct? And what Yes. What did you study? Yeah, I studied. I started off with business and then went into psychology, right? No, not by chance that I went into psychology, but I <laughs> wanted to kind of figure out what was going on. You know, what was the difference between people who were successful and living like happy, fulfilled lives and, you know, the people who weren't? So that was kind of, that put me on my trajectory, I believe. So I started off a business minor and did not like the business classes. I, I, you know, found marketing interesting, but everything else, it was just really difficult for me. And then as soon as I went into the psychology classes, I felt like I was at home. Oh, that's really nice. It's, it's something really clicked for you. Yeah. So, 
So tell me a little bit about mindfulness. What exactly is it? What does it mean? Okay. So mindfulness to me, and everybody has a little different definition of sure, it. Sure. Mindfulness for me is this idea that we are able to choose the moment we want to live. So if we allow ourselves to live in the present moment, right here, right now, without judgment and with kindness, we're going to feel more present. We're going to feel more content. We're going to feel more happy. However, it doesn't mean that we're happy all the time. That's not what mindfulness is about. Right. It is more about, to me, getting comfortable with uncomfortable. Right. And, and from what I know after we spoke, a lot of it has to do with being present and aware of yourself and, and your different options and choosing maybe to be in the present option versus the past or worrying about what the future brings. Yes, exactly. And when you think about it, just how many people we know, how many times we get stuck and after thinking, the what if thinking, the to do's, like how many times do we have to, we write our to do list, but then we are constantly thinking about it. Like it wasn't enough to write it. We have to constantly be going through it in our mind. Yeah, it wears on you all of the time. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. After, after you went to college, you started your family. And right around that same time, you were going for your master's then. You had three children in three years and a month. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I can't imagine. And you said you went through three to five years of survival mode, not thriving. And that having kids was a milestone. How did how did the practice of mindfulness get you back on course again? Yeah. So anyone who has kids or is around kids would know that when you you know are immersed in that parenting, it can feel so overwhelming. And especially if you don't have the tools to manage emotion. Right. When you have these little kids around you and, you know, you're being pulled in one direction and you're still trying to work and you're trying to get things done during the day. It's so difficult to be able to stay in the moment. Your mind can tend to just go to the future or even to the past thinking, I wish I was back there or I can't believe that happened. And look at me now. And what it allows what it allowed me to do, my mindfulness practice, was this thing that kind of saved me. You know, as a mother, I thought I was going to be an amazing mother. You know, everything that led me up to where I was at that time, I wanted to be a mom. And then as soon as it happened, I realized I didn't have the emotional bandwidth to be the mother that I wanted to be. Wow. And yeah, yeah. And um, what I realized was that I was impatient a lot of the time. I was yelling more than I wanted to. I was feeling unworthy, waking up every day with this incredible heaviness on my chest and also wondering why do I have it? Because it would seem to everyone else that my life was amazing. Right. And, and I'm sure the classes that you were taking for your master's, which had everything to do with all of these issues were helpful in, in getting you through it. Yes, yes. Helpful, but also like what you find when you first go on this journey of kind of connecting into yourself, it can feel very overwhelming at first. Mm -hmm. Very overwhelming because you start to see all the things that are wrong. You see them yeah. as, right? But they're not yeah. wrong. They're just part of your journey. Yeah, and, and the one thing you said to me that, rings true through all of this was you are not your thoughts. I mean, that to me, how many times do we all get stuck in our own head about what we think we are based on our own thoughts, not, not real, what's really going on, but just what's stuck in our head. Oh my God. So that, that one for me. So I graduated from my master's program and I did great in the master's program. I totally enjoyed it. And then I was immersed into parenting immediately <laughs> and it, it was a shock. And I thought, you know, I had a lot of preconceived thoughts. So when you think about where our thoughts come from, most of our thoughts come from the people who were around us when we were growing up, you know, so we were like little sponges, 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And we took in their thoughts and this is what we call our conditioning. Right. So we're conditioned to believe things about ourselves. And then when we start to figure out that maybe they don't fit right for us, then the anxiety even gets bigger because it's like, oh, I told myself this thought for so long and this isn't what I think anymore. And it starts to cause that anxiety. Sherry, how many thoughts do you think we have on average a day? Oh my gosh, too many. (laughs) I have no idea, but I know for me, it's too many. (laughs) Yeah. So on average, human beings have anywhere between 40 and 60,000 thoughts a day. Oh my gosh. Right? That's wild. Yes. So if we have that many thoughts, how can we be all of those thoughts? Yeah. How do you filter through those? (laughs) Mindfulness. Yeah. Right. So that that's the tool. Mindfulness helps us to start noticing the thoughts. And then we get to ask ourselves, is this thought helping me or hurting me? Yeah. Right. Most of the time, the thoughts aren't even, um, helpful and there we just continue to have them every day over and over again and some of them are because someone else told us that's who we're supposed to be or that's who you are well i i know you went to school in california you took some courses and unfortunately we're we're running a little bit short on time here um so i after our conversation and i reflected back on so many things that you said i felt like so much had changed in my mind, at least for the next few hours about the different things I was thinking about. So clearly this is a really good place for you and you're good at it. Yeah, I feel so fortunate because I have found my passion. I was a hotel supply salesperson. I worked in automobile supplies. I worked in publishing and I have found that place that just really lights me up and I feel so grateful and lucky to be able to do what I love and to help people heal. Yeah, I I know you travel around, you teach children and teachers in schools how to be mindful. Now you're focusing more on the teachers because you find that the message will travel further. If you can teach them how to teach the children to be mindful, you can have a, a larger territory and a bigger effect, which is wonderful. Yeah. Um, so you operate Project Mindful in Fort Washington, Pennsylvania, and you offer virtual learning for individuals and groups and in-person options for schools, organizations throughout the Philadelphia and the surrounding areas, which includes mindful coaching, mindful schools and mindful businesses, which is churches and other organizations as well. Correct. Correct. Great. Great. Um, And in the beginning of June, you're going to have a program for women that will last six months if you sign up. It's a six-month program where I am teaching women how to connect to their authentic selves, how to let go of fear and anxiety, and to really tap into their purpose, you know, through all different things, through mindfulness, through uh, spiritual practices, through journaling, through dancing, through, you know, coming in together in circle. Yeah. And just just taking a breath. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, and you also mentioned down. Yeah. Well, I'm afraid we're out of time. I want to thank you for your time and for helping create a compassionate, peaceful and decent world, one individual at a time. Thank you. Yes. Like letting everybody get comfortable with uncomfortable. So hopefully some of you will have the courage to start this journey for yourself and maybe sign up with Jackie. For more information about Jackie O'Malley, Mindful Project, upcoming programs, which she also mentioned might include a few retreats, uh, virtual and in-person sessions, go to www.mindfulproject.org. Thank you again. Sue will be right back after the break. Ladies, keep living your dreams. At Action News, we cherish every moment. And it's our profound responsibility to bring you closer to your world. Never miss a moment. Trust the people at Action News. Hi, this is Sue Rocco. Women to Watch is pleased to share a clip from Breaking Through, a podcast hosted by Madeline Bell, the president and CEO of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. This interview is part of a series in which Madeline interviews 
chops women scientists about what inspires them and advice they have for other women interested in pursuing science and medicine careers. My guest today is Dr. Marnie Falk. Dr. Falk is a geneticist who specializes in caring for children with mitochondrial disease. So let's start with you describing what is mitochondrial disease and how does it impact children? Absolutely. It's very hard to look at somebody and know that their mitochondria aren't working. I give the analogy to my patients of a doll. If somebody brought you a toy doll and the doll's arm wasn't connected, you would know there was a trauma. There was something obviously wrong. But if somebody brought you that doll, let's say a child, and the doll wasn't walking and it wasn't talking and it wasn't blinking and the lights weren't going on, most parents would try to change the batteries. Well, that's what we think of as mitochondrial disease. The batteries aren't working properly. So things like Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, even aging. When we age, our mitochondrial DNA integrity becomes impaired. We get deletions in it and we get less mitochondria. And you know this because if you're at a party with grandkids and little kids, who's the ones running around? <laughs> it's the little kids because their energy is just so much higher because our ability to make energy goes down unless we exercise. That really helps us. <laughs> so we're still learning all the different areas where mitochondrial dysfunction is happening. We're now recognizing it's probably much more than even one in 4,300. It's probably many more of us <laughs> than we'd like to admit. To hear more of Madeline's interviews with CHOP's amazing doctors and scientists, listen to Breaking Through with Madeline Bell, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. That's it for another week of Women to Watch. Thank you so much to Kateri for uh, producing the show and to all our sponsors. And stay tuned for my interview next week with Dr. Judy Ho. Um, Dr. Judy is a forensic neuropsychologist, and she's a, a famous media personality. Have a great week, everyone. It's the number one news at 10 p.m. Action news on PHL 17. Join Shari Williams, Gray Hall, Deuces Rogers, and meteorologist Adam Joseph for all the big stories at a time that's right for you. Action news at 10 p.m. on PHL 17. Now, the women to watch. Military watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast, NBC Universal. You know, Seriously, last year, the U.S. Army fell short of its recruitment goal by 15,000 soldiers. The other branches of our nation's military are experiencing similar challenges. Now, how can the military position itself as an attractive experience for current and future generations? As military leaders address these issues on the front end, there are ways civilians can support those efforts on the back end. Less than 20% of those who serve make the military a lifelong career. The vast majority wish to take the skills they've learned, the talents they've refined, and the education they received into the civilian workforce. That's why it's important for employers to continue their efforts in recruiting and retaining military community talent. For those who choose to leave the military, knowing their military experiences are understood, valued, and sought after by employers could influence whether these highly talented and dedicated people choose to serve our nation. And our nation has made incredible strides in understanding the skills, experiences, and spirit people with military experience bring to our workplaces none more so than in the last 15 to 20 years, as our nation's military was in the forefront of people's minds throughout the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. At Comcast NBC Universal, our military hiring goal has forever changed our company's workplace culture for the better. It will remain a significant part of our organization's commitment to serving the military community. If you're motivated to recruit and retain military talent, PsychArmor has a series of free online courses for employers. Just go to psycharmor.org to learn more. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.